Hey friends, welcome to my podcast, Straight Talk with Celine. God's redemption over my life has led to many radical changes in me. One gift God has given me is a hunger for his word and a passion to share it with you. The Bible tells us all we need to know about God, but it also tells us all we need to know about ourselves, and we fail to open it and learn these great truths. A burden that weighs heavy on me is that many professing Christians don't know their identity in Christ. So join me now as we walk through God's word and learn who we are in Christ so we can step into all he's called us to be. Welcome back to season three of Straight Talk with Celine, episode one of this Acts of the Holy Spirit series. I took some much needed time off to rest and to reset, to get my mind right. But with that being said, the, the busyness, it's continued around here. From being a husband and a father of three, including uh, a small baby who just turned nine months old, um, working a full-time job and trying to expand this ministry called Broken and Chosen, man, it, it continues to be a grind. And now adding to my plate seminary through a Reformation Seminary that really has just gotten started, it's safe to say that I'm, I'm at max capacity. But God has been at work and God is at work. And God will continue to be at work. And as I always say, he's so good to bring us alongside him um, on this co-mission of really expanding his kingdom throughout this earth. Guys, we, we get to be ambassadors of Jesus. I mean, how amazing is that? And so I wanted to come back fresh and I wanted to start a new series picking up where we left off in season two. Last season, we, we walked through the scriptures and we saw all things Jesus. And in episode 16, we stood with the apostles. We, we stood with the disciples, the 120 on the Mount of Olives, and we watched Jesus ascend after giving that great commission. We, we learned what it meant for them. And since we learned what it meant for them, we know what it means for us. It's time to move. It's time to make Jesus known throughout the earth. But isn't it true that knowing this doesn't make it any easier? I mean, knowing Jesus's expectation, it, it still leaves us uh, wondering, where do I start? And I, I know what Jesus did for me. I, I know what he says about me. I, I know what he expects of me. But what does that really look like for me to take his mandate and, and actually run with it? Well, what are the next steps for me? If that's you, if you're asking that question of yourself, guys, welcome to the club. Just know that you and I are, we're in this boat together and we're learning together. We're failing forward together. And this is what we want to figure out in this season of Straight Talk with Celine. We, we, we want to take a deep dive into the book of Acts and follow the early church's example. Because if we are honest, we know the current church, especially in America, is not necessarily a church that I, I truly really want to mimic. I mean, guys, when I open the book of Acts, and I read about the early church. There's not much about the Western church that really looks anything like the early church. And maybe it's not right for me to compare, but what if we did? I mean, what if we really followed their example? And I know many may say it's, it's you know, it's a different era. It's a different culture. Everything's just different. But if we honestly think about it, does that really matter? I mean, shouldn't we be like the early church in every way possible since they are the closest to Jesus' standard of what his church should look like? 
So this season, guys, I want to walk through the book of Acts and I want to study the early church. I want to look at the identity of this church, what they did, how they did it, and then do my best to live in light of, of what I learned. And, and, I, and I invite you to do the same. But, but again, it's, it's like this. We learned who Jesus is. We learned what he said. We, we know what he did for us. We know what he commanded. He sent his spirit to lead us. Now what? Well, let's walk through the book of Acts and let's see what the Holy Spirit did in the life of the early church because of their willingness to obey and surrender that day uh, in Jerusalem uh, at Pentecost. Guys, the world was flipped upside down. It was flipped upside down by a bunch of lowly men and women who were considered nothings and nobodies. Why? Because they were willing to risk it all for Jesus. And so we open the book of Acts and we look at Acts 1.1 and it says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So this tells us right out of the gate that the writer of the book of Acts has written something else. That writer is Luke, a Gentile physician and, and an associate of Paul. Luke was part of Paul's ministry. And how do we know this? Well, numerous times throughout the book of Acts, you will find the collective use of the word we in places such as Acts 16, um, Acts 20, Acts 21, and then Acts 27 into Acts 28, the end of the book. So what this tells us is that Luke is actually present with Paul. He, he was an actual witness to Paul's works. And so just a little insight on, or, on who Luke was. Luke was a great historian who also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And the Gospel of Luke was directed at this same person, Theophilus, as well. Why? Well, Luke 1.1 tells us. It says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who... From the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certain certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. So both of these volumes, the Gospel of Luke and, and the first volume of church history called the Book of Acts, were written by the same writer and written to the same individual. And Luke is unquestionably that writer. And it's likely that the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to write the book of Acts sometime during Paul's imprisonment. And that's how the book, of Acts, the book of Acts ends. And it may have ended there because that's when Luke actually wrote it. And to remind you guys, the Gospel of Luke and the, the book of Acts were actually one long history that takes up a lot of real estate in the New Testament. I mean, when Luke wrote the history down, it was one sweeping picture of history. But it's clear that, that it was the Holy Spirit's design to split this one long history into two volumes because there is such a dramatic change between the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And the dramatic change that we see that is glaring is the transformation of the apostles. What strikes me is that the Gospel of Luke, it concludes with the apostles being perplexed and confused and hesitant. Guys, they, they were fearful. They, they were a little reluctant to preach the message of Christ. And then as we begin the book of Acts, we know that the resurrection of Jesus energized them and we know the Holy Spirit eventually comes. And this explains a big part of their transformation. But when you close the gospel accounts, we're all left wondering, man, what, what's going to come of these guys? All these followers of Jesus, what, what's going to end up happening to them? 
Are they going to be bold or are they just going to be cowards? But here's the thing. As soon as you get into the book of Acts, you, you find that not only are they bold, guys, they were off the chain courageous. It's evident that, that something dramatic had happened in their lives. I mean, was it the resurrection? Was it the coming of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. But there is another part of this transformation that is often overlooked. And I believe that it plays a role in these followers' transformation. Because you have to understand that they literally went from cowards who were hiding in fear of their lives to bold preachers of the gospel of Jesus in the city of Jerusalem, in the open streets, and then even in the temple to the very people who killed their teacher. I mean, not only did they preach the gospel of Jesus, they flat out told the rulers of Israel and everyone on their side that they murdered Christ. Guys, this transformation had to have occurred because of another critical reality. So I just want to point out what I think it was. I mean, for the first time, these followers of Christ who watched Jesus ascend to heaven understood the Old Testament. Like they really got it. That they understood the big picture. Why? Well, if you turn to Luke 24, Luke 24 tells us. It says, it says Jesus said, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then, here you go, listen guys, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Matthew 28 doesn't tell us that. Luke 24 tells us that. So right here is where we see that Jesus opened their minds to understand the the plan of redemption that God had set into motion all the way back to Genesis 3 when, when Adam and Eve fell in the garden. This was the day that sin corrupted the cosmos and humanity was doomed. But God immediately set a redemption plan in motion and Jesus was the fulfillment of that redemption plan. And these early followers at this moment finally understood this. So guys, here's the reality. The disciples never really knew who Jesus was during the entire time they sat under his teaching and his leadership. And I, I just want to briefly point out some interesting facts so that we can really understand why this is important to know. Time after time throughout the Gospels, Jesus was telling his disciples that he would be killed and that three days later he would be raised. In the Gospel of Luke alone, Jesus predicted and explained his death and resurrection to them three times, twice in Luke 9 and once in Luke 18. In these passages, they're mirrored in the Gospels of Mark and Matthew, word for word. There are three different predictions in the Gospel of John that are a little more subtle, but Jesus is telling them that he would be leaving them. And here's the point. Jesus told them over and over and over again, and they never got it. The disciples were confused about who Jesus was, and it was because they were confused about the Old Testament. For instance, Luke 9, 43 through 45, Jesus says, But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying. This could be said for them pretty much most of the time. I mean, when Jesus spoke about his death and he spoke about his resurrection, they just, they never understood it. And then you turn to Luke 18, 31 through 35, and this tells us that Jesus took the 12 aside and he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the son of man by the prophets will be accomplished. Now, where was this written? Was it the New Testament? No, guys, there was no New Testament. When Jesus spoke of things being written about him, he spoke of the Old Testament. 
So he goes on to say, for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But guess what? They understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what was said. Guys, these disciples didn't understand the suffering of the Messiah because they couldn't connect it to the Old Testament. Here's the thing. They had a view of Judaism, which pretty much all the Jews in this day had, which left out most of the important elements of the Messiah's coming. It left out his suffering, his atoning death, his resurrection. So the teaching that they had mentioned nothing about those things, even though the Old Testament was very clear about his suffering, about his atoning death, about his resurrection. And they didn't grasp it. So they struggled to see Jesus rightly. But after his death and resurrection, there was an incident that happened in Luke 24. And it started with the two followers of Jesus who were on the road to Emmaus. And I'm sure you recall this. These guys didn't know Jesus had been raised from the dead. And the scriptures say that they were sad because they had hoped that Jesus was the Messiah. They, They believed him to be a prophet who was mighty in deed and word, mighty in the sight of God, mighty in the eyes of people. But Luke 24, 20 tells us they recognized the leaders and rulers delivered him to sentence of, uh, to the sentence of death and crucified him. And they were hoping that he would rescue Israel. Guys, there it is. If they knew the Old Testament, they would have known that, that he would be put to death as God intended to redeem the world. This shows us just how confused they all were. This shows us how badly they had been taught things concerning the coming Messiah. It wasn't until the, the day they met the risen Jesus, okay, And then he went on to explain to them the writings of Moses and explain the Psalms and explain the the, the prophets' writings that they understood who he was. Guys, he laid it all out for them to understand. And for the first time, they began to understand the Old Testament rightly. And according to Luke 24, verse 45, some days later, and I think this was on the the Mount of Olives, this is the, the other version of the Great Commission, Jesus would open the minds of the rest of his followers And this included the 11 to understand this very thing as well. And for the first time, they all began to understand the Old Testament rightly. And for the first time, they saw Jesus rightly. All of a sudden, they had the missing piece to the puzzle. So we know they saw the resurrected Jesus and this emboldened them. We we know the Holy Spirit came upon them and this emboldened them. But it was also this grasp of reality of redemptive history and the understanding of the Old Testament them actually knowing that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament and that God's redemptive plan was right on schedule and working through Jesus, it changed the game for them. It was all of these things combined that just set them on fire. They now knew that the Messiah that suffered and died and rose again was this Jesus and this gospel concerning him had to be preached. And guess what? It would be preached by them. This message of repentance The promise of of forgiveness of sins to all nations beginning at Jerusalem and extending across the globe. And this was the mandate given by Jesus. And all of this would begin once the Spirit came upon them. The Spirit didn't come until they had, had come to understand the Old Testament teaching regarding the Messiah. And when they were actually convinced of this truth and all he said and all he did and saw that it lined up with Old Testament prophecy, man, they were transformed. They were convinced. I mean, once it became clear 
for these followers of Jesus, that the Old Testament was being fulfilled through Jesus' suffering and death and resurrection, and that they would be empowered to spread the message that redemptive purpose of God from eternity past was on schedule, and the next phase was going to come through them as they proclaimed it into the future, they were set free from any doubts and any questions. No longer perplexed, no longer confused, no longer reluctant. They were like, where do we go? Let's go. Get me off the leash. I'm ready to go. So when we come to the book of Acts, you begin to notice right away, when you look at the first four and five chapters, you see significant Old Testament text quoted. And all of these, these quotes from the Old Testament, they come right out of the mouths of these apostles, which further proves that for the first time, they understood the Old Testament and they, they are referring to the Old Testament prophecies regarding Jesus. Peter, even before the Holy Spirit came in Acts 1, 16 through 20, addresses the 120 by talking about how what Judas did was an Old Testament prophecy and it had been fulfilled. You know, Matthias was replacing Judas and this was prophesied in Psalm 69, 25. And this was how Peter saw it and how he explained it. He just pulled this verse out because at this point he had a new enthusiasm for the Old Testament. And this was evident because up to this very point in the story, you never hear the apostles quoting anything from the Old Testament. I mean, guys, go read the four gospels. They don't seem to have an understanding of the Old Testament, how it applies or how it's fulfilled in Christ. But on this day, man, P Peter began quoting it and applying it. And all of a sudden they were Old Testament experts. I mean, they were seeing the Old Testament like they'd never seen it before. They, they all knew it before, but they knew it in a way where it came to life at this point. I mean, it, it transferred from their heads to their hearts. They saw that not only did the Old Testament point to Jesus, but it pointed to specific things like Judas's betrayal and Judas's replacement. It pointed to the coming of the Holy Spirit, which was prophesied by Joel. And it pointed to much more. And this was absolutely exhilarating for them. So exhilarating that they would stand in the temples and preach, filled with the Holy Spirit, to the very men that had crucified Jesus. And they would defy these same men, these same leaders, even at the cost of their life. Guys, this to me was just absolutely unexplainable. No one would do this, except those who were absolutely convinced without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was the fulfilled Messiah from the Old Testament. Guys, the leader of this activity was Peter, okay? Peter was the same guy who couldn't seem to understand anything. This same guy who was told by Jesus that he would die and proceeded to argue with Jesus about it. He said, um, no, Jesus, um, I know what you're saying, but that's not happening. You're not going to die. That's not, that can't be God's plan. And what did Jesus say to Peter? He rebuked him and said, get behind me, Satan. Guys, Peter was so oblivious to the plans of God that he actually took the side of Satan and didn't even know it. But post-resurrection, and understanding Jesus as the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, Peter was um, on fire and was willing to go to the extreme, talking death, okay, to share. And this would be how all the apostles and all the followers of Jesus move forward and, and what they base their message on, just as Jesus commanded them. And you see this throughout the book of Acts as the early church followed suit, notably Stephen and Paul. Jumping ahead, they, they preached really long sermons. I mean, you go to Acts 7 and, and Stephen preached. You go to Acts 13 and Paul preached. Both of them are prolonged narratives of the Old Testament history that led to Jesus. And all this points us to what was going on in the lives of these early followers. They, they all had a grasp that they were a part of this 
redemptive plan of God that was unfolding according to the details that had been laid out since Genesis 3. And it transformed them. And they lived it out and documented all they did inspired by the Holy Spirit. And this is why we have the story. Acts continues the story. Some call it the Acts of the Apostles. Some call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And I love the Acts of the Holy Spirit better. But, but I think we need to, to point out that there is a main character here that has always been the main character. The main character from the Old Testament. The main character from the Gospels. Guys, the main character is God. I mean, these are the acts of God who is working all things out. And here's the reality, friends. If the Old Testament fired you up because of what it promised and the Gospels fired you up because of the account of the fulfillment of those promises in Jesus, then the book of Acts ought to fire you up because the book of Acts is the story that is still being written as we speak. And guess what? We are part of the story. I mean, how amazing it is that God has allowed this. We must understand that the book of Acts is, is, is narrative history, just like Old Testament is narrative history, just like the Gospels are narrative history, and the main actor in the drama is God. The Old Testament is about God acting in blessing and judgment. The New Testament is about God acting in bringing his son and, and acting to bring about redemption through his son. And the book of Acts is about God acting through the apostles and the church to preach the gospel to fulfill the plan. So with this understanding, the question that we ask is, by what means does the Lord continue his redemptive plan through the church? And the answer, it's not uncertain. It's not complicated. It's not difficult. It's not debatable. It's established in the book of Acts pretty clearly, and it is the same today as it was then. And I'm baffled at times when I see the confusion about what the church is supposed to be in the world. What, what we're supposed to do because the scriptures, they, they don't leave us in any confusion. So what we need to do for the remainder of this episode is we need to see the means that God has ordained the church to advance the kingdom and, and the unfolding redemptive plan of God in the world until he comes. We, guys, that, that's us, are essentially writing the final chapters of this story empowered by the spirit of God. We all play a role here and, and we want to stay on schedule and we want to be on point fulfilling our duty because we had this calling from God. Guys, there's a promise from Acts 2.39. It is for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And who is this for? Well, guys, Peter told us in Acts 2.38, he said, all who repent and are baptized everyone in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. They will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He said all who are repent who repent and are baptized. This is God letting us know that history will march on and there will be many who will come to him. And how will the many come to him? Guys, by the church advancing the mission of telling the world the good news of Jesus Christ. Our job is to call people to repent and be baptized and believe and be forgiven and receive the Holy Spirit. Guys, this is the primary purpose of the church in the world. And what I'm always intrigued by is the way the, the early church did this. And what did they do? I mean, how did they go? Well, I'll start by saying the early church looks nothing like the church today. Guys, the early church, there was explosive growth in, in, growth in the early church. 
All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to prayer. That they feared the Lord and they obeyed his commands. Guys, this is what led to explosive growth. And it starts in Acts 1. There are 120 believers in the church. That was the beginning of this church in Jerusalem. And then by Acts 2, after Peter preached the gospel without compromise, God added 3,000 to this number. So here we go from 120 to 3,000 in one day. And we see at the end of Acts 2, the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Guys, this means continuously. And at this point, we don't even know the number. By the time we get to Acts 4, we see that many who heard the message believed and the number of men came to be about 5,000. So you've got the 120 that turns to 3,000. You've got people being added every day. You've got 5,000 men, not counting women and children. So now, guys, we're, we're probably approaching uh, about 20,000 people. I mean, th this is the last specific number that we see in the book of Acts because at this point, the number was increasing so fast, they couldn't even keep count. Acts 5 says that the multitudes of believers in the Lord were constantly coming into the fold. Acts 6 says that the word of God kept spreading and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of priests and religious leaders were coming, uh, coming to the faith. Acts 9 tells us the church has expanded out of Jerusalem into all of Judea and Galilee. The church has spread after tens of thousands of people have come to salvation under the preaching of the gospel. Then it spreads to Samaria and throughout all of those areas. The emphasis here is on the explosive growth. And then you turn to Acts 12. It tells us after the death of Herod, the word of the Lord continued to grow and be multiplied. And by the time you get to Acts 16, you begin to see the pattern just continues into the Gentile world. And it mentions church being, churches being strengthened. Guys, not just believers. It doesn't say believers being strengthened. It says churches were being strengthened. Churches were being strengthened in the faith. And they were increasing in number daily. Not just believers were increasing. Churches were increasing. And then in Acts 17, the story shifts from Paul, who becomes the main human character, and the church just explodes into the Gentile world. Until Acts 28, the final verse, which states, Paul lived in Rome where he would live for two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And I just want to point out, he lived for two whole years at his own expense. This guy went asking people for nothing. He paid his own way, worked while he did full-time ministry. Man, Paul was an absolute animal. You will find out as this season uh, goes on by the time we get through all these episodes. But guys, the, the reality is this. The numbers were exponential. The early church, it, it grew too fast to count. The gospel exploded in the early months and years of this early church. Why? Well, it was the faithful preaching of the gospel. Guys, there were no gimmicks. There was no fluff. It was a church that was faithful and obedient and convinced and willing to take risks. They moved with intentionality and they moved with discipline. They were focused on the mandate Jesus left them with. Guys, this is why the early church grew like it did. And friends, I, I, I'm just here to say that there isn't even a close parallel in the history of the church to this massive explosion of salvation. This was the greatest story of church growth ever in our history up to this point. And this early church was led by those 11 apostles and, and the one man out, Paul. Guys, that's the story in the book of Acts, just explosion of growth. But, but this, this is just scratching the surface of the story. And you already know that we will need to look much deeper into this story to really walk away with an understanding of what Jesus commissioned his church to do on the day he left. 
So the question that I want to answer is what, what were the features and elements that characterized this early church? What was it about this early church that really generated this explosive growth? And I'll say up front that, that you and I can't save anyone. We can preach the gospel, but how people respond is up to God. But we are the church, just like the early church was the church. Under the power of the Holy Spirit, we are called and commanded to the very same principles and elements and features and duties and responsibilities that they had. So we stop and we ask the question, what were the means that God used to grow the church like he did? Hey friends, did you know the mission behind Broken and Chosen? I once was lost, but Jesus found me and redeemed my life. And since he saved me, he's been teaching me who I am as his follower. I am chosen. I am part of his holy nation. I am a royal priest. I am his special possession. He called me out of darkness and into his light to be a bold proclaimer of his glory. And if you're in Christ, that's your identity too. So follow us on social media to be reminded of who you are in Christ. And subscribe to this podcast for a deep dive through God's word to learn who you are in Christ. And check out our apparel in our shop at brokenandchosen.com to wear your identity in Christ. And lastly, if Broken and Chosen is blessing you, would you do us a favor? Would you leave us a review and also tell a friend about us? First, the early church, they carried a supreme, superior, supernatural message. I mean, it was transcendent. They, they, they carried the word of life. They, they carried the word of truth. They carried this message. And what was the message? Well, it was simple. It was Christ, him crucified, him risen, ascended, coming again. Guys, they preached Jesus. The early church preached this message everywhere without regard for the culture that it was being delivered to. In other words, there was no fear of how it would be received. There was no fear about how it would clash with worldly standards. They, they, they just preached and they preached it boldly and they preached it in the full. This message transcended all languages and nations and cultures and society norms and contexts. And none of this had any effect on the advancement of the gospel message. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Be my witnesses. That was the command from the very beginning. And the message didn't change. It couldn't change. I mean, just think about what Peter did on the day of Pentecost. He had been, had been baptized with the Holy Spirit. He stands up in front of tons of different ethnic groups and preaches Christ crucified and risen from the dead. And Christ as Lord. And called on these very people, whatever their language and nation and society norms, to repent and believe the gospel. He wasn't worried about offending people. He, he didn't care about political correctness. He was obedient to the call, even if it costed him his life. And the result? 3,000 people responded in faith and were baptized. See, Peter had an understanding that all these people, no matter where they were from, had a universal problem. And that problem? Sin. And they all had a universal need. They needed deliverance from that sin. And there was only one savior and one gospel and Peter called everyone to believe in it and, and believe in that savior and believe in that gospel message. I mean, this was the message wherever the apostles went and it never changed. And all of these apostles were mocked for this message. They, they were mocked for not being impressive in speech, mocked for not being that dynamic, charismatic personality. Mocked for delivering such a simple message. Guys, they didn't come with human wisdom. Yet the gospel was spreading. Why? 
Well, because they preached the authentic gospel. They preached Christ and him crucified. No fluff, no compromise. Here's the reality, friends. If the message being preached isn't valid anywhere and everywhere in the world, then it's, it's, it's not valid anywhere, okay? The only context that we need to master is the biblical context. It is the word of the Lord that saves and sanctifies. Bottom line is the early church carried a transcendent message. Whether they were in Jerusalem or in Rome or all stops in between, the message never changed. I mean, Paul summed it up in the Corinthians. I am determined to know nothing among you, among you except Christ and him crucified. I don't come to you with human wisdom. I don't come to you with superior uh, superiority of speech. The message never changed, friends. It was never informed by culture. It was never altered by culture. It was never accommodated to culture. The early church paid no attention to form or tradition or custom or expectation. They stepped into every place with this radical alien message calling people to bow their knee to a crucified Jew who was rejected by his own people, crucified by the Romans, but who was God in the flesh and the only one who provided forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Friends, this was a stunning, startling, shocking message. It was a foolish message to, to, to the Gentile world and a stumbling block to the Jews. But this, this message, it was a transcendent message and they preached it and they did not compromise. Second, the early church was a congregation of regenerated believers. In other words, the church is a collection of believers that come together to be edified and to worship. I mean, th th this is the church. Acts 2, 42 through 47 tells us exactly what the church was. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to, and to prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as, as any that had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Guys, this is what the early believers did. This, this was the church. They, they understood that church was redeemed fellowship. They, they were all committed to the things that believers do. Sound doctrine was at the center. They listened to it. They, they obeyed it. They engaged in spiritual fellowship and, and communion. They, they came to the Lord's table where they broke bread. They were committed to prayer. That These elements were expressions of their life and expressions of genuine regenerated hearts. There was nothing about it that was for spectators. There was nothing about it that was for some kind of entertainment. Everyone was involved and everyone was in the game. There was nobody on the sidelines. Church was designed for, for worship. It was designed for edification. The church understood that it, it gathered to worship and be edified and, and fellowship and, and it, it scattered to proclaim the gospel. And, and the Lord did what the Lord does. He added to the church. God, the church doesn't grow the church. The Lord grows the church. Third, the early church grew because of faithful perseverance. This church from, from the book of Acts, they, they never sought to be popular with the world. It didn't seek to be accepted by the world. It didn't try to figure out how to accommodate the world. Although there was a sense in which the church was popular. I mean, those early days, Acts 2.47 tells us that the church, they had favor with all people. They, they were joyful and they were faith-filled. They gave and they, they served the community. They were performing miracles and wonders empowered by the Holy Spirit. So there was no, no question that, that bystanders were 
absolutely curious about them. They were amazed at them. It was evident that there was a kind of power in the early church and they found favor with these curious people. So it's definitely safe to say that the early church had spiritual integrity and then they were held in, in a high regard. They were different and distinct. They were following Jesus's command to be the salt and light. And this was very important. I mean, the church was called to, to be pure enough and, and cohesive enough to display God's power for the world to see. But right alongside this respect and recognition of, of the uniqueness and integrity of the church came resentment. People were in all of their lives. They were amazed at their character, but they were outright offended by their message. In Acts 2.36, Peter lays out the message very clearly. He says, Let all of the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. And when the crowd received this message, they were pierced to the heart. So, so pierced that they, they asked Peter what they should do. And Peter responded to them, Repent and give your lives to Jesus. He told them that this was the only way to be saved from the wicked generation that, that was headed to hell. I mean, this message, man, it was narrow. It was exclusive. It was confrontational. It was condemning. Guys, it was judgmental. And then you flip over to Acts 3, 17 through 18. And, and it says, Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. So here's Peter showing his, his grasp for the first time of the Old Testament. He goes on to say, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Again, this message of sin and repentance in the face of judgment was the message that they preached in the early church. And as I said, it was offensive. You flip over to Acts 4. Peter, back in the temple after they'd been kicked out, like the very next day. And it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you, to all people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. L listen, friends, th th that kind of clarity, that kind of conviction and boldness and narrowness and faithfulness to the gospel characterized this early church. H here's the truth. Culture around them may have been in awe of how this church lived and behaved. They may have been curious about them, but let's make one thing clear here. They hated their message and the message never changed. The message was offensive and it was narrow and exclusive and condemning and it pronounced damnation to anyone who rejected Jesus. So what happened in the face of this message was persecution because this is the point that the early church began to feel animosity. The apostles imprisoned, threatened, told not to preach, flogged, Stephen killed after being stoned to death. And this stoning was led by Saul of Tarsus who then led the wave of heavy persecution that came against the church in Jerusalem. And because of this, the church would be scattered but here's the point for us to see. If the church is going to grow, there has to be a faithful perseverance in the face of the hostility that comes against this message. Because this is how the early church grew. Speaking truth led to hostility. But the early church grew under the force and the power of this truth. And see, the notion is today, the narrow message of the gospel will not lead to church growth. So, so most tend to compromise when the New Testament church shows us that hostility and narrowness and persecution is not counterproductive to the church. It's essential. Hear me, 
Hostility, hostility persecution, it, it actually is productive in the church. It causes growth. Bottom line is this. The church will not be built by men with cool clothes and smooth speech. It will be built by God through the hard truth spoken even when it's not popular. It will be built by those who never compromise God's word. This is why I can't understand why churches use all these carnal means to draw people in. Churches have become theaters that are centered on man, not on God. And if we want to see the church grow, we must get back to speaking truth boldly, no matter what the price. Fourth, the early church showed evidence of purity. Purity was manifested in their lives and it was on full display. Guys, the church remained pure and it had to. There were people constantly trying to infect the early church. People who were drawn to the church for the wrong reasons. And we see that in Acts 5. A man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira, who sold a piece of property. Ananias came back and he, he gives some of the money, you know, to, to, to the apostles, lays it at their feet. And, and he gives them only a portion, even though he says he's given it all. And so the background here is people would sell goods in order to give to Christians who needed to be supported. Remember, guys, that there was only one church, and it was right there in Jerusalem. The church was made up of, of people who came to Jerusalem for the Passover and then, and then for Pentecost. And so many in this church were from somewhere else in another land, uh, from another place. And they couldn't go back because this was the only church. The, these were the only Christians. So, so what they did essentially is once they gave their lives to Jesus, they just left their lives behind. They stayed in Jerusalem with the church. And, and of course, they needed support. They, they became a burden. And there were many needs and people would give to support them. People were literally selling their possessions and giving things away to support these new believers. And apparently the model was that man that sold the piece of land, brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet and said, give to those in need. This, this was mentioned in Acts 4, verse 36 through 37. And it would be Barnabas who was that, that model, who was that man. He was the example. So Ananias and Sapphira, they followed suit. They saw Barnabas getting all the love and, and getting all the accolades and, and they, wanted, they wanted some of that. But the problem is, is their motives, they were a little different. Their motives weren't pure. So they sell the land. They, they declare they're given it all. They, they make the pledge and then they, keep, they secretly keep back some of the price. And look what happens next. Acts 5, 3 through 6 says, 3 through 6 says, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did, did, not remain, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have con contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Guys, God killed this man right in front of the church. And I need you to understand something. This was not for homosexuality. This, this was not for adultery. This was not for fornication. He didn't murder anybody. I mean, the crime wasn't, wasn't a massive one. He lied. And the lie was minimal. I mean, hey, we all could say he did at least give some of the money, right? I mean, geez, cut the guy some slack. But here's the point. Any sin, even what might appear to be insignificant, literally is worthy of execution. We are all worthy of death for all of our sin. 
I mean, can you imagine if this happened in our church today? So the Lord kills him in front of everybody. And this struck fear into the hearts of the church. So the young men got up, they carried him out, buried him, and that was it. And so a few hours passed by and Sapphira shows up, not knowing what happened. Peter then asked her about it and she lies as well. And guess what happened to her? The exact same thing. She just fell out dead. And the same guys came in and they carried her out, buried her right next to her husband. I mean, wow, what a Sunday. I mean, I am for certain that the fear of the Lord was in that place. And here's the deal. The sin of lying brought about divine execution. The story was reminiscent of, of God in the Old Testament. And we see this is obviously a New Testament story. But here's the reality that we need to understand about God. He never changes. He's the same yesterday as he is today as he will be tomorrow. Judgment was dropped down hard here. Why? Because God wants his church pure. He wants us to walk in purity. This is one of his greatest desires for us. And the trend today is to remove the fear of the Lord, turn the preacher into some kind of jokester who's more familiar with pop culture than, than they are the Lord. Crazy, sexy, cool, friendly to all sinners, inoffensive. But that's not the pattern the New Testament establishes. The church should be a frightening place because it's awesome to come into the presence of God. The Lord desires the holiness of his church, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. No matter what anyone says, God desires for us to be pure and holy. Today, we have the wrong formula. We have become passive to make all welcome. Guys, all are welcome, but there is a cost. And we need to understand that. I mean, look at Acts 5.13. It says, none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. So it says, not many dared to join the church. Why? Because this was the genuine church of Christ. Guys, it was hard. It was uncomfortable. And here's what we need to understand. You don't want people who are non-believers to be comfortable. Ask yourself this. How are you helping unbelievers when you just allow them to be comfortable? Guys, I see so many churches tiptoeing around the truth in order to make all feel welcome. Guys, that's ridiculous. The early apostles in the church didn't do this. So why should we? There is good that comes from speaking truth and pushing discipline in the pursuit of holiness. I mean, look at Acts 5.14. Just one verse later, it says, And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Guys, this led to church actually growing. Fifth the early church showed evidence of having qualified leaders. And so much of leadership is example. Really, two things make up leadership. One, example. The other, instruction. Those are the two components that, that really are two sides of the same thing. You teach and you model what you teach. And with that being said, you can see how critical it is in the life of the church that those who lead the church be qualified. It's not about personality. It's not about money or business sense or skill. It's about spiritual qualification and sound doctrine. A church grows under the influence of godly leaders. I mean, just look at Acts 6. When the church ran into some internal issues and the leaders in the, in the church had to select some help and leadership, who did they pick and why did they pick them? Well, Acts 3, I mean 6.3 says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. The apostles were appointing leaders to be in charge of distributing the food to the church. Small task, but godly leadership was necessary. Small and large task and task in between. 
It involved leaders who were of good reputation and full of spirit and full of wisdom. This parallels what what 1 Timothy and Titus says. It is imperative that spiritually minded men are selected to lead the church because this is going to be a challenge. Spiritual qualifications are critical, critical, critical in the church. It is not about secular wisdom or corporate strategy. It needs godly leadership. And according to Acts chapter 6, verse 7, the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So no matter what we think today, this is how the early church was established and we should be following suit. So how did the early church grow? A transcendent gospel message that never changes. The message is unaltered. It cannot change and it must not change. The, the, the church has to be devoted to hard truth. The church has to be devoted to worship. The church must be worshiping community who loves the Lord. The, the, the church has to be in pursuit of purity and holiness, meaning we are to be resentful towards sin. The church must not compromise with the world and we must avoid false teaching to be popular. The church is to be countercultural. The church is to be an alien entity who is consumed with worshiping God. The church must feel the weight and gravity of identifying with Jesus. The church must be submissive to Jesus. The church must be led by godly leaders that model what they teach. So we stop and we take a look at the church around us today. And not to be critical, but it's hard to look at the book of Acts and look at the church today and see any resemblance at all. There is none, specifically in America. Why? Because what we just walked through is, is a counter kind of plan to the strategies of the church growth today. Guys, G- Jesus said these apostles and disciples would be witnesses in Jerusalem throughout Judea into Samaria and the ends of the earth. He said he would build his church and the gates of hell couldn't stop it. And look what happened. Exactly what he said would happen. And his mission? Guys, it's still advancing today and it will be tomorrow and it will be until he returns to make all things new. My friends, This is all for this week's episode of Straight Talk with Celine. Come back next week as we start the journey through the book of Acts. Yeah, today was just the intro. We begin in Acts 1 and and we're going to see what took place the day at the Mount of Olives when Jesus left the early disciples with the Great Commission. We will see Jesus ascend to heaven after commanding them to go and wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. And what took place the moment they got to the upper room as they waited? Well, next week we will dive in and we will find out and see. Guys, we need to continually be asking ourselves this question. What does this story of God mean to us and what does it mean for us? Who are we in light of God? Friends, if you have surrendered your life to Jesus and you're following him, the Bible proclaims the following. You are chosen. You are a royal priest. You are part of a holy nation. You are God's very own possession. You have been called out of darkness, called out of the grave and into his wonderful light, into a new life. And now you are to be a bold proclaimer of his glory. Do you know this? Are you living this? If you are, great. If you're not, man, it's okay. Most are not. But come back next week because the point of this podcast is to walk this journey together. I'm currently learning myself, but together we will learn our identity in Christ and we will step into it. My friends, thank you for joining me on this episode of Straight Talk with Celine. I hope our time together has helped you take a small step towards living out the fullness of who you've been called to be. 
If this episode encouraged and edified you, please take a moment and think of that person that needs to hear this and do me a favor and share it. Jesus has called us to be ambassadors. Let us never forget that the mission is to know Jesus and to make him known. I love you all with the love of Christ. Until next time, take care.